I'm gonna melt your heart away. Let's play a game. A probability game. Let's, Let's learn, learn a, a thing, thing or two. Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Welcome back to the Two Welcome Top back, Podcast. everyone. I'm glad to see you and your lovely faces. I'm sure you're happy to see mine and Matt. I hope so. Uh, we're here. We're here to teach. We're here for topics. And Matt, I'm here to tell you about probability. Probability. You gave me some odds earlier. Elaborate. We have some chances. But let's do it. Let's do it a little fun. Let's do it in the sense of a game show. Ooh. Welcome, Matt. Welcome to What's Behind That Door. Okay. Matt, I am the host and you are my contestant. Matt. I like this. I like behind this a lot. Behind me, there are three doors. Okay. I see them. Behind two of those doors is a pile of trash. And behind one of those doors is a trip to Hawaii. Oh. Now, now Ooh, aloha. Which door would you like to pick? One, two, or three? I feel like, well, technically, logically, they're all an equal chance, right? Correct. You have a third of a chance. A third of a chance per door if there's three total. Technically, you have... But I feel like probability goes beyond just numerical values. Is that what you're going to talk about? I would go with two. Okay, Matt, you're going for door number two. Now, I know what's behind every door. So I'm going to tell you right so. now, behind door number three is a pile of trash. Now... Would you like to change your answer? No. You're wrong, Matt. Ah, it's, I lost the trip to Hawaii. The, you, the rule is you should always change your answer. This is called the Monty Hall Paradox. Whoa. Change your answer. Okay. So uh, back in the day, there was a game show that was um, hosted by the famous serial game show host, uh, Monty Hall. And it was a similar scenario. There's three doors, two bad things, one good thing. And it was always, he would tell you which door, and then, you know, you'd guess. Now, in the beginning, you have a two-thirds probability of picking something wrong. But then once he tells you, your chances change. 50-50. Because it's, yeah, it does change. And originally, you have a higher chance of picking that wrong door. To make it a little bit more straightforward, let's use some bigger numbers. Let's inflate the numbers to make it a little, a little easier. Yeah, give me some context. I am now a magician, Matt. Wow. And you, and you are my lovely guest. I have a 52-card deck here, and I'd like you to pick one card. And you know what? You're going to grab that card, and you're going to – don't look at it. All right? Don't look it. at it. I have it. Not looking at it. Just put it on the table. Okay. It's on the table. Now, Matt, if that card is the Ace of Spades, I'll give you $5,000. Now, I'm going to look through my deck right here, and I'm going to take out a card. And I'm going to put that face down on the table. I'm going to tell you right now, one of those two cards is the Ace of Spades. Now, would you switch your answer? Well, according to what you just told me, I should. But the... the Think of the probability. You, I have a much better chance now. Yes. 50-50. Much better than... No, no, no. Even better. Because of the 52-card deck, if you pick one card out of 52, you have a 1 in 52 chance of picking that Ace of Spades. But now you're guaranteeing now me one I've of the cards. Now I've guaranteed that the, one of the two cards is down there. And when you guessed, it was a 1 in 52. But now if you switch your answer, there's a lot higher chance that that is the Ace of Spades. Because you're, it, it's a weird sense of probability that throws people off. 
You have to think of, it of the other way around. Not what's the chance of you winning, but what's the chance of you losing? The chance of you losing with the 1 in 52 cards is astronomically high. But once the probability has been, I've given it to you, one of those two cards is the Ace of Spades, you know your answer is going to be way more wrong than the probability of the card I just presented to you being correct. You get that, right? I'm seeing it in the sense that you now get, because you pulled the Ace of Spades out of the deck, it's guaranteed to be in there. Whatever I picked, like you, it had a, I had a lower chance from the beginning to get it. You had a lower so chance. So of course, when you ha- when you put in the card, that's automatically giving me a higher chance to have it. So I should definitely change. Yes, I understand it. I see how you look from the other way around. Now let's, I had less of a chance. Now I have more of a chance. So let's go back to our three doors. So we have our our Hawaii vacation in two pieces of trash. So when you originally picked. You had a two and two thirds chance of picking a pile of trash. Yeah. Now, since you now I've told you what's behind one of those doors, and I showed something that I know was a piece of trash, that means that you're in the same scenario of the cards. You had a higher probability of picking the wrong answer in the beginning. So by switching to the other, it's a 65%, 66% chance that that will be correct. But it's only 60. It can't be more than that, really. Well, because it's three options. Yeah. that It's weird when you put it in the context of only three options. It's very weird. When you put it in the larger scale, it makes sense. But now it's like, oh, but it is. Yeah. Like, So I will change my answer now. I was looking at a chart. I don't have it up now. But let me see if I can visualize it for you here. So we have our three doors behind door number one. You will, let's just go, you'll always pick number one. Okay, door number one. I think the Hawaiian trip is behind door number one. So behind, first version, behind the doors, it's trash, trash, Hawaii. And I show you door number two. Now, if you switch your answer, you win. Now, if we do it again and we switch the orders, so it's uh, trash, Hawaii, trash. We switch it up. We slide them over a little bit and you still pick number one, and I show you the other trash, then it's still, you win. Yeah. But if Hawaii is number one, and then you switch, you lose. So do you get that it's a shifting probability? Yeah, yeah. By removing one of the options, you should always pick what's left in that scenario because the probability is in your favor. It's higher that that's, yeah. Because you're more, it's more. It makes sense, but nothing's guaranteed. Nothing, nothing, nothing obviously, at all. It can't it's, be. it's still a chance. It's still a game of chance. But. The probability of you picking the wrong answer in the beginning is so high that switching when you have better odds increases the chance of winning. This now, is great. this has come up in a lot of debates, actually, and it's really hard for some people to wrap their mind around. I've known about it for a couple of years, and I tried to explain it to you as best as I could, but you would think, it's like, oh, I go with my gut. Why would I change? It's still the same chance. Or it's like, if he shows... a piece of trash behind one door, then my thing is obviously still a good chance of being correct. But the answer is you should always change your door because it just, it makes sense due to the numbers, due to the probability, it makes sense. I've always been the worst at choosing when it comes to probability games like that. Even even with card games, I'm terrible like hit or, or stay the same or whatever. For I'm always job. like, ah, oh, stay the same, whatever. And you know, and that's 
doesn't make sense. Take the higher probability because logically it makes sense. Yes. What's this called? This is the Monty Hall paradox. Monty Hall paradox. And it's, there's a lot of like scientific papers based on the probability of this. Yeah, probability is a very interesting thing, especially when you get to these principles that, like you did, small example, small numbers, you get up to a bigger example, you can see it a little bit better. Yeah. But it's all, it's the same principle. It really is the same principle. You're looking at the same fractions, the same percentages. It's all math and probability are one and the same. You know, really when you're doing all this probability, you're doing math. You're weighing the chances, you're weighing the opportunities, you're seeing the percentages. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a really great problem to like really understand probability, but to an ex advanced level, I'd say almost. Oh, definitely a more advanced level. I didn't, I didn't know before this, but probability, it controls everything. You know, you can't be a hundred percent certain it's impossible. No, you can't. You never, you can never be sure as much as I'd like to say, oh, I can make you win that Monty Hall problem 100% of the time, it's impossible. It's impossible, yeah. Because if you were to pick the correct answer on number one, then you might have to stay with your gut if you switched. And that's what I was thinking with number two. Now, there's this whole idea of like number seven being a, a solid number to choose with gambling. I don't know the principle behind that. Uh, lucky numbers, lucky lucky things here and there. Maybe seven's in, seven is in the middle of the card deck in a sense. Yeah, I... I think there are factors when it comes to humans interacting with probability because humans, whether they're biased or not, but they shouldn't be biased, obviously, no. with choosing anything. But whether they know it or not, they're definitely influenced by factors. Well, if you think about it, in a suit of cards, you have 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, mm -hmm. uh, jack, queen, king, ace. Seven's in the middle. Seven is the most middle card. So you're closer on either end of the spectrum to be. Yes. But obviously you like can't that. be seven every time because there's a limited number no, there's of sevens. Yeah. But it's still an interesting thing to think about. Unless you're, I mean, I don't suggest going to this casino and start counting cards and trying to do the math as the dealer's asking hit or stay. But, you know, it's a cool thing to mess with your friends of it's like, hey, I have three cups here. One of the cups has something nasty, and oh no, two of them have something nasty. One has something good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and see. Yeah, experiment. Let's see what happens. Experiment and see if it actually holds up. I trust it does. I would. I'm be sure surprised. those uh, scholarly articles are have, correct. Have definitely yes. been correct and reviewed over. I wouldn't years. be too surprised. Yeah, it's funny you brought this up. I've been. Uh, I want to say I've been going to the casinos. I went to the casino a week ago. Atlantic City casinos. I went to like a couple of them. They're all digital. Yeah, lots of digital stuff. There are very few real dealers out and there. Digital probability is a whole nother minefield. Yeah, you don't know what's going on behind the uh, screen there. That would be an interesting episode to talk about because there's so much that goes in. I mean, it's a lot easier to rig a computer game than a physical game with a human there, you know? So we'll have to, maybe we'll come back to that. But I know we're trying to move forward and move through things. And Matt, I hear you have something delicious to talk about. Today. We have something delicious. We're revisiting episode 70. And for those viewers out there that know episode 70 is called ice cream disruptors. It's a good episode. We talked about disruptive tech, disruptive, not so tech 
and ice cream, the history of ice cream. The history of ice cream is very interesting. We talked about Marco Polo, Julius Caesar, all having some form of cream ice or ice cream or shaved ice, kind of a treat, like a culinary sweet, you know, back in the day. Well, last night, this is what made me revisit it. I listened to our podcast again because I was thinking about ice cream. You know how you get some ice cream and it's, it's very hard? Yeah. Like quality of ice cream. Does it matter to you? It, it matters to me. I like the semi-melted ice cream. You know, you so left it I. out on the counter a little bit too long and it's real soft and it's melted in your mouth. Some. What if I told you some ice cream is engineered to get to that consistency, but nothing less than that. It will not melt all the way. It's They're trying to hold that perfect. That perfect semi-melt soft serve yeah. style. It's, it's a soft serve style. It's not hard. Can you, I'm going to quiz you here. What flavor tends to be the hardest? Chocolate. Chocolate. It's always chocolate. We, we have all opened up the Briar's tub and just tried to stab chocolate. It sucks. That's why I'm a vanilla guy. You know, I get vanilla. what I want when I want. <laughs> that is the original kind of myth I wanted to debunk. But I say myth because a lot of people are like, it's ice cream. It's all kind of made the same. But no, it's not. It's not. It's very not. The reason chocolate is harder than other flavors, most other flavors, not all the flavors. It's because the actual consistency of chocolate is a solid, whereas the flavor of vanilla is an extract from a solid. Yeah, you're starting to deal with... So you're starting way at the beginning. Almost chemical makeups. We're talking molecular gastronomy here. So ice cream is made of five key components that and I, I want to specifically cover texture because this is important to me. This is what quality, I mean, flavor is one thing, but texture is kind of make it or break it for me. I'll tell you, companies, Ben and Jerry's, a lot of their ice cream is great because they get that soft consistency. You open the lid, it's already a little bit melty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes it gets a little too melty. You have to be careful. Some companies like Briars are known for being like hard ice cream, and some people like that, but you know what? I'm not a huge I'm more fan of, of it. I'm almost more of a, I feel the generic brands are always the softest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why does ice cream, kind of what qualifies it to be that consistency? So we have different factors. You'd think ice cream's made the same way. Well, yes, it is, but there's a lot that goes into it. So the first thing, ice. You can't spell, you can't say ice cream without ice. Ice crystals are a huge component in ice cream. The size of the ice crystal matters. So that is a direct relation to how fast they freeze it or how fast they chill it to how slow they chill it. You know, it could depend. So you get bigger crystals. You're going to get kind of a, a grainier ice cream. Right. It's weird to describe ice cream in gra grain. But it is. Down it to is. a molecular scale, there's ice cream grains that you're you eating. You can feel it when you're eating it. Some of this is real rich and creamy super fine ice crystals and if you have like freezer burn on it then it's really oh you got grain yeah there's Solid some grain, grain in that ice cream next up we're going into sweeteners they use different kind of sweeteners a lot of them are it's just sugar sugar plays a big role in how it freezes sugar freezes very in a very interesting way the next is air the invisible ingredient in ice cream the amount of churning they put into it matters on how much air so there, here's a term here's an ice cream term for you overrun overrun what is overrun when it comes to ice cream i'm like what the heck are they talking maybe about? maybe they ran it in the they ran it too long in the mixing machine it's too airy it's overrun is literally the quantifiable quantifiable amount of air in ice cream so when your overrun is exceeding 100 percent, you could have a really hard block of ice cream oh. like it's so dense the density essentially there's no air in it it's, it's like 
You need that rest. fluffy ice cream. You need fluffy ice cream. So a lot of the generic brands, or not generic, but like Briars, they have a high percentage of overrun, whereas Ben and Jerry's is a lower percentage, and they pride themselves on having like creamy ice cream. I wonder if there's something economic to do with that as well. Creamier ice cream, less volume. There is sense. less volume. Do you notice, actually, this is so funny you bring this up. I was going to get into the weight of ice cream. Do you notice how much Ben & Jerry's weighs compared to, say, a competitor's pint? Ben & Jerry's is pretty light. It's pretty light because there's more air. So theoretically, and it, it, the reality of it, they're giving away less ice cream. Yeah, it's less bang for your buck. They're giving you more air. It's like but a bag of Lay's. It's like a bag of Lay's. You're getting a lot of air in there. So it feels like you're getting ripped off, but that's the pleasure of the creaminess, you know? Right. And the fine yeah. consistency. The next uh, ingredient after air would be other solids. There's a lot of things that could go in there. Cookie crumbles, whatever. Cookie dough, Oreo pieces, fruit pieces, syrups, anything. That all affects the amount that it freezes. And ice cream is real interesting because you can stick a bowl of cream in the freezer and it's not going to turn into ice cream. No, you need that churning. You need air to get the crystals in it. It's literally making ice cream is a process. It's not just a chemical reaction. It's a it's a physical process with chemical. So that gastronomy is it's it's very unique. The next thing is emulsion, which is a process of combining substances which under normal circumstances would separate from each other. Again, you have a mechanical process of mixing, like you know your oil and vinegar it right. separates. In this case, it's it's in the ice cream. Emulsifiers are usually added when you're freezing it. Um, some examples of an emulsifier in ice cream, the most basic is an egg yolk, like egg and ice cream. Okay. So it, what's separating in ice cream? Is it like the sugar and the milk? If you put an egg in a bowl when you're even baking, it doesn't like to mix the oil and the egg separates. The sugar doesn't want to go into the egg. The molecular makeup of the egg resists. Uh, larger molecular structures. So you want the ice cream, obviously, to mix together evenly. You want it mixed together, yeah. So the harder you mix it, the better it's going to be. So in, say, an ice cream factory, you're looking at Ben & Jerry's, their machines are pretty high quality for the amount of mixing. Briars, they just have big machines churning huge batches of it. So essentially you do get what you pay for i guess right you know? i mean large batches when you know you don't have that individual ice cream touch it's not the small i would mm, ben and jerry's i guess would be a smaller batch due to all the flavors and this they have so many flavors that they definitely yeah and they're not known for quarts they're very much known for pints yeah it's pints do they sell quarts oh i don't know i don't That's think a good they question. do i mean they have their own ice cream facilities yeah but i don't know if they actually sell a quart of Ben and Jerry's. Oh, I'd do anything for a quart of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, though. Last night I ate a whole one. That's where. Uh, That's this where this comes from. Came from, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, and I noticed even in between the line, I was with some friends, and we had three different types. And mine had chocolate and it was hard. I was like, okay. I want to figure out why this is hard. But then there was another one, uh, the fish food flavor. That's it is chocolate ice cream, but that one melts the fastest out of all Ben and Jerry's flavors. And I was like, why is that? It has marshmallow in it, and the consistency of marshmallow is already soft. Thus, it conducts heat. Thus, it gets inside the ice cream and melts it faster. So that's a huge factor. It's very interesting to think about your ice cream from a such a molecular level. molecular level instead of from flavor because we love ice cream. We love the history of ice cream, but now we can really focus on it because we are in the 21st century, and ice cream is science. I'd love to have some Ben & Jerry's. I, now, I'm, now I'm craving some Ben & Jerry's ice cream. 
get a flavor take note of what the consistency is like maybe measure it for how long it sits out on the counter before it gets the consistency that you like and then compare it to your other brands I know that's asking a lot. I know you just want to eat the ice cream. I haven't had ice cream in my house in a little bit. So, you know, I it's really a treat, but I'm sure I can take some time to do a little science to teach the world, to teach the guests, the viewers, you know, something a little more about their ice cream. We should just have a time lapse of us just eating. Eating ice pints. cream? I, I'd watch. I think I'd spend some time watching me eat ice cream. I'm yeah. sure there's someone out there that would. But I think... I think that's a little bit, that's enough for now for two top. Yeah. Matt, I know you're about a to run much. run to class actually. You got to go to class. Yeah. But I'm so glad you came back to this ice cream topic and went a little bit deeper into the ice cream making process. I think we need to revisit our old topics and yeah. uh, elaborate on beyond just what we covered in the, initially. We're big history guys, but there's always a more modern take, a more how to be, how to way as well so Mm -hmm. maybe it's time to start reduxing our old episodes i mean we are in season three now so reboot reboot time (laughs) (laughs) start from episode one redo them all yeah but i think that's what we have for this week's episode two top yeah and um we'll see you guys next week Yeah. yeah for another two topics cool see ya this was two top an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg. Music this episode comes from Lee Rosevere. For more info about this week's episode, visit us at twotoppodcast.com. For general inquiries and feedback, send us an email at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. See you next week for another Two Topics. <laughs>